All right, y'all. John 15 says this. Jesus, uh, if you remember, in verse 31, He said, But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. So they're thinking, uh, some scholars are like, well, they're talking about this on the road. Like they're walking and Jesus looks at them. The truth is, we don't know. We don't know if they're walking along the road. We don't know if they found another place to sit down. But what we do know is that this is what He said. Jesus said to those who were following Him, I am the true vine. And my father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Look at this. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Y'all listen to this. And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So y'all, that is our passage. We're going to pray one more time. But before we pray, in ESV it says abide. In NIV it says remain, probably. What do you think the heart of this passage is? Remain. Abide. Right? That's what we're going to hear over and over again. So we want to look at what does that actually mean. So God, we come to You. Lord, I I want to be a church that prays. I want to really say to You, God, that I don't know how to preach well. I don't know how to wrap my head all around of what You want to communicate to Your people in a passage. But I do also want to say that I rest in You. So God, as I rest right now and as we rest with Your Word open before us, Lord, would You help us to understand it? Would You help us to to see it? And Lord, would Your Spirit within us equip us to take this truth out to the world, but Lord, also to take it to heart. So Lord, many distractions could come our way, but would You be so good as to, to the table set before us, would You help us to feast on Your Word? Lord God, we love You. Amen. All right, y'all. If you look at chapter 15, because you know what we're going to do after this 1 through 11? We're going to be doing 12 on. We do it verse by verse, and we just move through the Bible because we believe that every word that God has moved men to write is perfect and profitable and good for teaching. So here's kind of a breakdown of chapter 15. The first 11 verses are about our relationship with Christ. And then the next, about five verses, 12 to 17, that's about the disciples' relationship with one another. And then verses 18 through 27 are the disciples' relationship with the world. Okay, And you will remember that what has led up to this whole final moment, all of these letters in red, depending on your Bible, or all of this long passage where it seems like Jesus has been silent or quiet relatively to this moment, and now He's got this long discourse. He is about to die. 
He announced, I'm going to leave this world. And his disciples said, where are you going? And we walked through verse or through chapter 14 and we saw how he tried to comfort them in those moments. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And everything I told you is true. And I will bring you to myself and you will have great comfort because I'm going to bring you the, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And now he's walking with them and he's saying three relationships you need to know. Your relationship to me, your relationship to one another, and your relationship to the world. And so in his, our relationship to him, here's what you need to know. Look at verse 1. He spoke to his disciples. We need to understand what it meant to them so we understand what it means to us. And here's the first thing he said. He said, I am the true vine. Now my question comes up. I know that's only five words right there. But my question came up with, why the true vine? Because we don't talk about vines in our culture these days. In fact, if there's a vine in my house that I'm in charge of, that vine is going to die. Because anything that I try to put my hand to that's green is going to die. And I don't usually remember to water them. I don't remember to nurture them. In fact, whenever Chas does bring home a plant, I feel sorry for the plant. My thought is usually, okay, God has sovereignly chosen for this plant to go on death row, and it is not going to survive at our house. We do not do horticulture we do not have green thumbs they they are going we're going to kill whatever plant is put into our care now that said i think i still understand some of what's going on here okay so whenever he says i am the true vine what he means is i am the true source and substance i i have the sap within me that is going to give you the life and the fulfillment and everything else that you need and so through this passage, as we look at it, He's the vine, we are the branches. But I still go back to, why does He say, I am the true vine? And this is, I think, pretty cool. In the Old Testament, Israel was the vine. In fact, Israel's national emblem was a vine. And I didn't know that. It was a golden vine. Listen to Psalm 80. Psalm 80. The psalmist writes, You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and it filled the land. In Isaiah 5, verses 1 and 2, and then number 7, says, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning God's vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared out the stones. He planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it. He looked for it to yield grapes, and it yielded wild grapes. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And so what does all of that mean? It means that, remember, Jesus is talking to Israelites. As he's walking with these fishermen, as he's walking with these tax collectors, he's talking to Israelites, and Israelites would have been thinking throughout this and probably seeing vineyards as they walk through the cities and the roads. And they're probably thinking, oh, we were the vine, he's the true vine. Because for them to be the vine meant that they were the source of blessing to God. Like he was going to be who they planted in this world to bless everyone. And so whenever Jesus says he's the true vine, he's not saying to you and me like, hey, don't worry, I've got this. Like I'm just everything. He is shifting their entire meaning. Where Israel used to believe that it was the source of blessing and that it was the vine of God. Jesus is now saying, I love how Jackson puts it. Jesus is now saying, tag, I'm it. Like you thought you were it. I am here now. I am the true vine. I am all that is needed. 
You want to know what happened to the vine of Israel? You can look in Jeremiah 22. In Jeremiah 22, God says to Israel, How is it that you have turned degenerate and become a wild vine? You wash yourself with lye and use much soap, but the stain of your guilt is still before you. So Israel was a vine, but Israel was an imperfect vine. They were a vine that could not fulfill all that God wanted. So here's what's going on. Just as Jesus is the true Adam, because the first Adam brought death and destruction, the true Adam has brought life, righteousness, and resurrection. Just as Moses led Israel out of Egypt in slavery, so Jesus is leading believers now out of the Egypt of sin and corruption. That just as Jesus, so he's the, true, he's the true Moses, just as there was an Abraham, Jesus is the true Abraham. He is the true father of many nations. And now he's saying to them that you know you had a King David. I am the true David. I am the fullness of the righteous king. And just as you were the vine, I am the true vine. I am much vaster and bigger and more majestic than anything that you have understood up to this point. It's a pretty profound statement in five simple words. You and I sit here today cross life not because we're an attractional church i mean what we offer right now is fans a backyard and jesus the most attractive thing that we offer as cross life is what we want to preach as christ exalted god high and holy and our need of a savior that's all we need and i'm saying to you right now that we sit here because the true vine has come and we are grafted into him now, with that said, there is a challenge before us. You and I must remain. You and I must stay. You and I must abide. Y'all, I want to get into it, but I want to, I want to kind of set the table one more time real quick with this. There are a lot of other vines in this world that you and I are going to be attracted to. I'm looking around this, this yard right now, and here's what I see as a vine. Our families. Our families are those things that we love, right? We absolutely love them, but they can become a vine for us. In other words, they become something from which we find our joy, our happiness, our substance, and our meaning and our peace of life. Our jobs are much the same way. We find our identity, our joy, our success in the vine of our job, in our marriages. One way to test if, if your marriage is your vine is when your marriage struggles, does it completely disrupt the joy and the peace of your entire life? Now, it should mess you up. Don't get me wrong. But does it steal your joy? I think that our friends can do the same way. Any relationship, I think our bank accounts can do the same way. The vines of this world, for us, are those things which are so readily available to us. And for Israel, it was the same thing. What they clung to as a vine was their own identity. I want to preface that with too with all of these are good things. Don't mishear me. Yeah, but when good things become God things, then it becomes idolatry. And so Jesus is going to reorient us and He said, no idols anymore. I'm the true vine. So by God's great love, mercy, and kindness, you and I sit here because the true vine was planted. So what do you need to know from these verses? You need to know what does it mean to abide? So y'all look at those verses again. 15, 1 through 11. You start scanning and you're going to see those words, abide or remain. And you're going to see it all the way throughout. This is one of those where if you said, I need to do a Bible study. I don't know a whole lot about the Bible. What's a verse you would send me to where it's just going to be crystal clear? You can go to this passage. 
Because if you read it and you go back and, or, and you listen to me, I circled the word abide many times just through this passage. Abide simply means remain or it means stay. It could also mean that you reside, which means that you are situated in a dwelling, that that is your place to be. But more than that, here's what I want you to know. Abide is an action verb. This is not passive. This is something that you actually have to do. This is not one of those believers where we get to say, I've been saved, so I'm good, so I'm just going to flow through life. By grace, I've been saved. This is where we say, by grace, I've been saved. I must abide now. So this is something that we actually actively have to do. But it's also, this passage is all a powerful call to obedience. If you and I do not obey, if we do not abide, then we will not stay close to God. It's just the truth of Scripture. Listen to these three verses. Abide in me, and I in you. There's a condition there. If you abide in me, Jesus says, then I will abide in you. Listen to this one. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Oh, Christians want to bear much fruit, but are we willing to actually abide in Him? And listen to this verse. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. How many Christians, they want to ask whatever they wish of God and it be true, but they don't abide in Him and His Word does not abide in them either. So there is a challenge in this verse or in this passage But to fulfill the call of Christ in our lives, we must realize that it is only accomplished by learning how to abide. And so you might be thinking, okay, as we go into abide, what do we actually mean? I've got got three very simple things. Be obedient to Christ. So Christ has put a call on your life, and it's going to look different. For me, He will on a daily basis say, walk in this way, and I have to walk in this way. Or He'll say, you need to go here, and you need to go there. Walk in faith. That's abiding. Another one is read your Bibles. If we refuse to read our Bibles, we refuse to abide in Christ. And then I would say spend time in prayer. I think one of the most underrated disciplines that completely disconnects us from God is prayer. I mean, it's a lot like these fans. We had to bring extension cords so that they would actually have a route to power. And yet many Christians these days are trying to live their life and they're not connected to the power at all. Like if, if Andy and I were setting up these fans and we didn't plug them in and we kept trying to turn it on and it's not turning on, it'd be pretty foolish for us to never look at did we even plug the thing in. But really simple ways to abide, to get plugged into that source is be obedient to God, read your Bible and pray. I mean, you don't have to pray 15 minutes. Pray for five minutes. Pray for 15 seconds. Start your day with, Lord, I need you. I don't know how to pray, but I know I need to pray. And just see what He does. But the way that we abide is through obedience, through reading our Bible, and through prayer. And that act of obedience is massive. It's multifaceted. I can't give you 15 points of how to abide through obedience because it's multifaceted. But if you and I are going to abide... The absolute must are that Bible has to be open and we have to be silent before God or we will never understand His will for our lives. Every Christian in this life should want to make an impact for God. They should want to glorify God and yet they cannot glorify God because they are not pouring into the Word and abiding by Him. There is a vine and here is the branch and the connection is our time with God. 
you must abide. I'm saying that out of love as a pastor. It's for you, like as I pray for you. My prayer is, would you know the Word? Like just pour into the Word. It will give you so much more than I can. A Sunday gathering is wonderful. But you know what? The fact that people can't make it on a Sunday morning is not what makes them a sinner. What makes them a sinner is whenever we quit abiding in Christ. But sin will do that. Sin is the one thing in all of existence that will separate us from the love of God. And you can say, oh, but I'm held in the palm of His hand. Absolutely. And we remain in His palm through the reading, through the prayers, through the obedience. He says here, abide in Me. He says, actively pursue Me, seek Me, put yourself in Me, and I will put Myself in you. He didn't say, you abided me in the past, abided in me in the past, and so you're good. So if you just want to grow wild, then you go for it. He did say that if you would bear much fruit and thereby glorify, thereby glorify God, then you will have the word in you. It's right here. That's not me like browbeating. I'm saying, abide in Him. And the chief way He said to abide is be in His word. Okay, I've hit that horse over and over and over. So, how do we chiefly abide in His Word? You're going to hear that again here in a second. Alright, so these verses broken down very simple. It's Here it is. If we abide in Him, or I'm sorry, if, if, we, if we abide in Him, He will abide in us. If we do not abide in Christ, Christ will not abide in us. And then here's the danger. If we are with Christ, we say we're with Christ, but we do not abide in Him, then God will remove the branch. Right? The fact that we sit in a congregation does not, does not guarantee that the branch will not be removed. If we do not abide, we will be removed. So look at verse 2. Here we go. He says, by the way, I'm not doing every single verse 1 through 11 breakdown, okay? So take that breath. Don't worry. But there are about three verses I think we need to look at. Verse 2, every branch, Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit... God takes away in every branch that does bear fruit. He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Y'all, there's a danger there. Who's Jesus walking and talking with? Those followers who are with Him. And He even says, every branch that's in Me. So He's talking to people who are connected with Him. And then He says, every branch in Me that does not bear fruit, what does God do? Takes away. Y'all, there's a danger there. The masses of Christians should tremble at this verse. Like, I mean, we really should stop right there and just, what if we, and we're not going to do this right now, but if you go back and you read that verse, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, God's going to take away. It says later that He's going to take that branch, He's going to break it off, and He's going to cast it into a fire. The masses of Christians should be trembling at these verses. In Matthew 3.10, Jesus says that already the axe is laid to, the, to the, the root of the trees and every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Let's preach that one a whole lot more and put that on a coffee cup. right? The axe is laid to the root. Nobody wants to buy that coffee mug. But there is a danger in our modern Christianity that we have made Christ so acceptable and so friendly that there is no danger of not abiding anymore. You walked an aisle, you prayed a prayer, you're good. Y'all, there's a strict call to holiness. 
And in these verses, it's very clear. Jesus said, I'm the true vine. If you're connected to me, you will bear fruit. If you're not bearing fruit, then what's up? And I think that that's what we really need to wrestle with in modern Christianity. Now, the question that you're going to get asked is this, and you might be having it in the back of your mind. Okay, so I'm doing the math here, Ricky, and you said that if there's a branch in him and he breaks it off, he's going to throw it into the fire, so there's hell. Like you're saying, he's going to throw it in. How can a loving God send people to hell? That is a common question that you will face if you haven't already. How can a loving God send people to hell? And I would say, He has absolutely loved you. He has absolutely loved me. He has absolutely loved the world. His love is what sent a Savior to the world. His love is what held Him to a cross. His love is what has secured the the rescue and the redemption. His love has been to rescue from hell. But if we refuse that love, it's not on Him, it's on us. It's a really harsh truth that God ultimately will give us what we want. If we want Him, He will give us Himself. If we want hell, He will give that to us as well. A loving God sends people to hell because He allows them the freedom to choose that. So He will give us the desires of our hearts. So, I don't want... I don't want to be one who is cast off from the branch because I refuse to abide. But there is that reality that God's love is for the world, but God's love is also for His justice and His righteousness and His holiness. And a holy God expects you and I to bear fruit. Let's tremble at that. Look at verse 2 again. Every branch that does not bear fruit, He prunes. So we've already talked about the branch that He cast off. What does it mean to prune? I told you every plant that comes to our house is on a death sentence. But I have learned this finally. That sometimes healthy branches have to be pruned also. Sometimes that branch that that looks like the plant is growing in this direction, it's still going wayward. It's still taking away from the shape of the bush. And it's absorbing all the nutrients and it's still in the source from the roots that should be going to the plant itself. I understand the point of pruning. In this context, the meaning of prune is cleanse. So you read and it reads like this. Every branch that does bear fruit, He cleanses it so that it can bear more fruit. And so what does that begin to look like? What it means is this, that if you are abiding in Christ, if you're connected to Him, you will be pruned. He will not let you walk in a sin that He hates. He will not give you peace for something that is opposite of Him. And so He will discipline you for the sins that you walk in. But that is love. Because isn't it in Hebrews where He says that those whom He loves, He disciplines? It's to remove the sin from our life. So you might be abiding in Christ, but there is a sin that you're walking in, and God is going to prune that from you. Why? So that you are healthier. We get that one. The hard part though is, sometimes... God's also going to prune the things that are good in our lives. He's going to prune the relationships that we like. He's going to prune the job that we love. And we're walking in Him and these are good things. They're not leading us astray from Him. And yet He still prunes those from us. And that's where you and I just have to simply trust that God knows what He's doing. Because there is this possibility that what is good in your life, we don't realize it, but it's actually become more of an idol. 
has become a false vine for us and and we're getting our sustenance and our joy and our peace all from it and it looks good and it looks healthy but we don't realize that it's actually pulling the life and our love and affection away from god we have to wrestle with the truth that god is good and everything he does for us is good and sometimes the good things that god is going to do in our lives will momentarily hurt and we won't understand but as we abide, He's going to remove the sin and he's going, to, he's going to remove the offshoots. But there's a reason for it. And it's in that verse. Why would God cleanse and prune you? It would be so that you can bear more fruit. You have to trust Him. But rest assured that if you're walking in sin as a believer, the love of your God will not allow you to keep walking in that. He will get your attention one way or another. Why? Because it is the one thing, sin is the one thing that can separate us from the love of Christ. I want to go on. I would say this as we move on to the next point. That we as Christians should not be looking to the sins of others. That's really easy. Let's look at the sins of others and what they struggle with and where they falter. Let's quit looking to the sins of others and start looking to the quality of the fruit that we are producing or not. Like, let's look at our own abiding this morning. Am I abiding in Him? Am I being fruitful? What do I really do with this? I love verse 3. Look at it. He said, already you are clean. He's walking with them. He's talking with them. Or He's sitting down with them. He's talking to them. He says, already you are clean. Why? Because of the word that I've spoken to you. Y'all, the chief method by which we will be pruned and cleaned is done through the Word of God. You do not need me to have clever ways of looking at a text. You don't need Christian philosophy preached from the pulpit. You don't need a perfectly timed and data-informed sermon. What we need to grow in Christ is more of the words. And the world says that's absolutely foolishness. We need great speakers We need an experience that people will pour into to see how great and holy and mighty our God is. You know what? We see a great, holy, mighty God through the preaching of His Word. We need only the Word. And Jesus said to them, You are clean because of My Word. And that's why, as Cross Life, we really are committed on Sundays to just preaching His Word and letting it fall where it will. That's why I'm okay if we have an imperfect meeting, but His Word is upheld and all technology fails and everybody who walks in, they're like, man, they opened that Word for a long time and the songs that they sing have Scripture in them. It's because what we know from Scripture is that it is the chief way that God will grow us and prune us and keep us abiding. So yes, I am an imperfect speaker. I'm often long-winded. But I hope what you get whenever we We look at the content of the sermons as here is the Word. That's why you need Sunday mornings. Or at least Sunday mornings at Cross Life. Because the Word is preached. It's why you need that time that you set set aside each day to be in the Word. Not so you can say, I did my quiet time, but because it's how God will prune you. If you stay out of the Word, your growth will be slower, sin will be nearer, And your nearness to God will widen. So we have to be in the Word. So of all the daily disciplines you can do, you need to find that time. Be in the Word. It cleanses. 
pray to Him. It connects you to Him and pursue Him. I look at the Christian life a lot like a boat on a lake. You can pull up next to that, uh, next to the dock, but if or you can set a place out in the middle of that lake. It's where you want to be. But if you are not anchored, if you have not dropped anchor so that your boat is right where it's supposed to be, then the waves of this world and sin and self are going to push your boat way off course. So I can pull up to that dock in a boat, not tether to the dock, not anchor. And as those waves come, if I'm not anchored, then I'm slowly going to begin to drift. And the dangerous thing about drifting is you can drift further than you ever realize before you realize how far off course you are. Find time to be in the Word. Find time to pray. Passionately pursue Christ so that you may abide. Look at verse 8. Don't worry, we're close. Verse 8, Jesus said, by, the, by this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Christians, how is Christ, I'm sorry, how is God glorified in your life that we bear much fruit? Same verse. How do we prove to be His disciples that we bear much fruit? We can sit there and, and list out all the things that we want in our lives, but what we must do is we must abide, and in our abiding we bear much fruit. We must walk in obedience to all that God has called us, and this is what calls us, He calls us first to abide. I was talking to a pastor this week, and he was talking about how the sins of sins of some pastors have like kind of surfaced in his life that he's seen and in in the public life and he said that you know as part of talking he was like but you know people just keep saying oh but but we're saved by grace yeah i'm covered in grace i messed up but i covered in grace y'all by grace we are saved by obedience we abide like he saved us by his grace we had nothing in us that we would earn the favor of God, but His grace saved us, but we abide, we stay connected, we actively pursue Him by obedience. So you you have to watch this sneaky danger that, that in modern Christianity, we want all the pleasures and all the promises of God, but we don't want the commitment that it takes to pursue God. And so we have to diligently pursue Him. You and I must be obedient. Last point. Abiding generates joy. The last verse of chapter 15, he said, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And I've got some notes here, but I'm going to actually step away from those and just kind of simplify it in this way. He just talked to them about abiding. He said, If you abide in me, then I'm going to abide in you. And if I abide in you, then I'm going to create much fruit. And if I create much fruit, you're going to prove to be my disciple. And if you prove to be my disciple, it's going to be by this much fruit. And this is how you're going to glorify God. And all of it is you abide, I will abide, my word will abide in you, you will bear much fruit. And here at the very end, he said, I've told you all of these things so that your joy will be full in me. And so I step back and I'm questioning why then does knowing all of that bring me much joy? And it's for this reason, believers. That if Jesus is the vine, then the one that you are connected to, the one that you are actively pursuing, He is going to bear much fruit in you. He will do it. I mean, it may take a while. It may take days. It may take years. 
but your life of obedience will generate fruit that honors and glorifies God. He will grow in you in such a way that you will joyfully see the work of God in your life. But then also look at this. If he is the vine dresser and if I'm abiding and he is, is abiding and his word is in me and if I'm doing all these things and his fruit is growing in me and he's pruning my life, then why do I have so much joy? Because all that God does is for your good believer and my good. That gives me joy. If I went to a doctor and it, and it was found that I had a tumor in my body and it was cancerous, but if they acted quickly, then he could remove that tumor and I could live and I could have a healthier life. And if that tumor were allowed to remain in me, then it would give me much joy to go through the pain of that surgery. Because I know that the end result of that process is a better health and a better life. If God is the vine dresser, if what He does in our lives is for our good, then all of that entire process of knowing that I am connected to Christ, and when I connect to Christ, He abides in me, I push into His Word so that He can push into me more. All of that brings me much joy because I know that in the end, I will bear much fruit. So all of this started with Jesus simply saying, I am the true vine. I'm looking at you pastorally and I'm saying, your job is not what's going to bring you joy and happiness and peace. I'm looking at you and I'm looking at a, a yard full of kids. And I'm saying, parents, if this is where you put all of your treasures and joy and happiness, it's not a true vine. It's wonderful. It's great that God has given us life and these kids but these are good things. They're great gifts from God. If your marriage is the vine that you hold on to, then whenever that falters, so will you. He has to be the one thing that is a stronghold. It was planted at the cross. And from that one vine, it has exploded through all the ages so the believers from every nation, every race, and every tongue can be connected to Him. So simple advice for your abiding today. As you leave and you're thinking, okay, there was a lot. He said abide, abide, abide. I don't really know. I've got to go back to these verses. How do you abide? Simple, practical life experience. You need to continue meeting with the church that preaches Scripture and proclaims the Gospel. Why? Because in these verses, He says that it is My Word that cleanses you. Whenever he's praying in chapter 17 for his disciples, he said, Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Bring them to perfection in your word. That's what Jesus prayed for his followers. You need to be meeting in a church that preaches a word. Cross Life, I hope, is one of those churches that is always preaching the word. But you also need to hold whoever's preaching accountable. If I get up here and I preach and it's not connected to the word, then I've dishonored the pulpit. I've dishonored the calling of what we're supposed to do. But continue meeting with the church. I would also say you need to read your Bible daily or as frequently as you can. Do you do it for five minutes or for 15 minutes? That's for you and God to figure out. But you do need the Word coming into your life every day. It cleanses you. You need to spend time in prayer. How do you abide? I compared it to, to Chaz yesterday this way. We... We made lunch and we put it on the table and we told the kids, come and eat. And the sandwiches are there, the drinks are there. Everything is ready for them to just sit down and eat. And a few minutes later, they're still not there. They're doing their own thing. And I looked at Chas. I said, what a perfect example 
of our quiet times with God. God has set the table. He said, here's everything you need to just sit down with me and commune with me. And I often say, yeah, God, I'll be there in just a minute. Hang on, I'll just a little bit longer. You know what? I'll go just a little bit longer until there's no time. But he has set a feast before his believers. And he said, sit down with me and feast right here. And you know what we do sometimes in our, in our selfishness? One more minute, God. Hang on, one more minute. I'm coming, I promise. And what we do is we one more minute in this life and we squeeze out that time with God that, that really is what we need. I'm telling you from experience. I'm not talking about you. I'm telling you from me. That's how I've lived. And I would say, trust God. So what do you need to do to abide? You continue meeting. You read. You pray. And you just trust. Flat out and simple. As we pray, think through these three questions. Cross life. Guests. Are you really abiding in Him? I mean, are you and have you truly, really been abiding in Him? My second question is this. Are you satisfied with your level of abiding? And then my third question is this. Then what are you going to do about it? Because I look at my life and I realize, man, I'm not abiding right here. I'm not. I say I, but I'm not. I really know my heart better than you know your heart. I'm not abiding right here. That's probably what you're sitting there thinking. Or you're thinking, man, I hope he can't see my heart right now. Because my level of abiding is right here. Your level of abiding is between you and Christ. But the Scripture is clear. If you don't abide in Christ, He doesn't abide in you. You can't bear much fruit if you're not abiding in Him. And God's Word says, by this is God glorified if you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. It's all correlated. It's a pretty tight bundle. So I'm going to call you to abide. Consider how you're abiding. And as you abide, you're going to have to do two things. You're going to have to repent when you don't abide and you're going to have to praise Him when you do because you see His goodness coming through. Last, last prayer that you can pray and then you guys come sing. This is a wonderful but simple prayer in this time. Lord, teach me how to abide more and just sit and wait on Him. Teach me how to abide more and help me to trust You. Let's pray. Lord God, um, what I take hope in and rejoice in is that for, for all of the, the things in this world that could vie for our attention, or I take joy that Your Word was open this morning. And You do say that as the Word goes out, the seed is scattered and it will take root in the soil as You want it to take root. You are the vine keeper. Lord, I take hope and joy in that. Lord, that You are the one who has grafted us in through our belief and You prune us, You cleanse us. And Lord, that we ultimately trust You with our lives. Lord, help us to learn how to, how to abide. Lord, help us to learn how to trust You how to stay in You. And Lord, may my words pass away, but this passage stay with us so that we think on it throughout the rest of this day. Lord, if we're going to be Your people, we must abide in You and thereby bear much fruit and show ourselves to be Your disciples. Lord, we love You. Amen.